This is a really difficult passage for Western ears. Um, why is it a difficult passage for those of us who kind of grow up, grew up in Western cultures? Um, the, the simple thing is it disrupts our lives. If, if you read this passage slowly and you pay attention to what Jesus is saying, it really disrupts our lives. And um, it's because it opposes our cultural philosophies. It, it opposes the way that we were raised, the things that we were belie- taught to believe, the way we were taught to view life or see life or understand life. Um, and it really stands opposed to those. On the one hand, it stands opposed to existentialism. Uh, God is dead, so you're going to have to find your own meaning and purpose. Now, you may not know whether you're an existentialist or not, but basically, if you think that your, your, your truth is your truth, that life your truth is relative, that life's a bit random, and you have to go find meaning and purpose for yourself, then you're, in that, you're standing there in that kind of a camp. Uh, God is dead. You better go do it yourself. And on the flip side of that, connected but a little bit more negative, is a nihilistic view of nothing matters. God, there is no God. Everything's meaningless. Well, there you go. Thank you. There's no God. There's no heaven or hell, no right or wrong. Therefore, do as you see fit. It doesn't matter anyway. And so, again, you kind of can still say, well, your truth is your truth, truth is relative, life is random, but it's more a little bit pessimistic, nothing matters anyway, so just do what you want. Do what makes you happy. YOLO. Uh, Those of you who frowned, uh, you're old. (laughs) I think it's you only live once. Is that what what YOLO is? (laughs) I'm old. I better not, like, pretend to know what I'm talking about. I have kids. They both show me that I'm old and help to keep me relevant in a really uh, untouched way. They're brutal. <laughs> so these two kind of camps uh, are the way that we're taught to view life, the way that we're told to go on in life. The problem that you can see in both of them is that there's no God. That the place, that what's at the center of it is, is what? What's at the center of these? You. You're at the center. You're number one in both. So whether you're an existentialist or a nihilist, and that's the way that we're taught to to live our lives, at the center of it is you. Now, I don't know if you've come to terms with this, but I've come to terms with it, is that I'm entirely incompetent to understand what all of life and all of history is about and what its meaning and purpose is. And if I am my last best hope, then that's a terrible thing for my life. And I just want to say, uh, welcome to church. And if you are your greatest hope, that's not good news. Um, We don't always want for ourselves what's best for us. We don't always know what's best for us. There's so many questions we can ask about that. But the main problem is that God has been taken out of it. You've been placed into the center, and now you must satisfy you. And the problem with that is that you are never satisfied. And you're serving a master that will never uh, be satisfied or um, content. We can't do it ourselves. And like Bono is saying so well, we'll all be able to join and say we still haven't found what we're looking for. What's so disruptive about Jesus is he believes in an eternal life, that Jesus assumes that eternal life exists. And that disrupts us because if eternal life exists, then this life has to have purpose and meaning and it has to be going in a direction and Jesus assumes it's an eternal direction. So then what is it all about? And what Jesus basically teaches us is the way, we t- the way to live now is with an anticipation of eternal life. And the anticipation of eternal life will teach us the way we are to live now. 
your life begins to find purpose and meaning when you begin to realize that you are made for an eternal life. And when you start to live in view of that eternal life, your life begins to find its purpose and its meaning now. Sorry, I'm just enjoying seeing the Kingas, 40 weeks pregnant. We may never see you like this again. We're all very much looking forward to seeing this baby and all hoping for an afro. That's the, please, please God. And also this array of babies at the back there that's just growing. This is incredible. All the gurgling and the beautiful sounds. Here's the three things we want to look at this morning. What does Jesus assume, number one? What does Jesus do about it, number two? What does Jesus require, number three? Number one, what does Jesus assume? Calvary told you Jesus assumes the reality of eternal life. What he's, what he's talking about on, in this passage builds on the assumption, on the foundation, on this baseline understanding that Jesus, everything he's saying, it has the assumption beneath it that there's an eternal life. In John, he, he, in a prayer, he just flatly states it like this. He says, I give them, my, he's talking about his people, I give them eternal life and they shall not, never perish. That's in contrast to Satan that robs, robs kills and destroys. That des- destroys life. Jesus says, I give them eternal life that they may never perish. I give abundant life. Um, and it's a wonderful thing for a number of reasons. Here's four reasons why eternal life is a good thing. Uh, the reality of eternal life gives, gives your life comfort. That's number one. Life's too short. There's too many ups and downs. It, it's, life is quite hard at times. Life is quite easy at other times. Life is hardly ever what we want it to be. There's pain in life. There's suffering in life. There's disappointments in life. There's surprises in life. Things don't work out as we seem. They're not necessarily as easy as we want. We work for things that we sometimes don't get, then we sometimes lose the things we, we uh, hold precious and dear to us. Uh, there's brokenness, sickness, sadness, decay, disease, disappointments. Life's tough sometimes. And then after we've fought all of this, and we've made some, uh, some sense of a life that we're happy with, it ends. <laughs> and it ends for all of us in death, without being too morbid, because you are a church after all, um, but without being too morbid, you're going to be a few minutes closer to death when you leave this place than when you arrived at this place. We're all dying. So it's a bit dark, but eternal life brings this bright spark. Eternal life brings this joy, this hope, this promise, this healing, this wholeness, this renewal, this peace, this refreshing, this final victory over death. Eternal life comes and says, it's not over when it's over, it's just beginning. Death is just a doorway into life. And Jesus talks about a, 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 an eternal life where um, the sick are healed. And those who are mourning and sad and experience sorrow and suffering have no more reasons for tears. And with those who are pain in pain, the pain is taken and those... Uh, we receive joy and peace. But someone, I forget who it was, a few weeks ago the text was talking about a heaven without a sea. And that was a Jewish picture of heaven because they weren't swimmers. So the sea was a terrifying place, especially because of the picture that they had of kind of hell at the bottom of it, the ocean. Well, let's just get rid of the sea. And for all those who surf, it's like, that doesn't sound like my heaven at all. We know that 
heaven's not going to be an unusual place. It's going to be uh, like life. Like it's this without the pain, without the sorrow. It's goodness only. As Jesus takes Satan's influence entirely out of the world. Whatever's good in this life, it's going to be that for an eternity. So, eternal life brings us comfort. Eternal life gives your life value. Remember, without eternal life, uh, without God, you know, either this side or that side, uh, there's not that much value. Stephen Hawking wrote, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy, tale, a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. How depressing. You're a computer. You're a machine. One day you're going to die. The computer's uh, broken. You'll never be updated. And you'll end up in a big pile. You're the organic human tech that has no purpose in the future. How depressing. Jesus' vision of eternal life is entirely different. You're not a machine. You're a loved person. Your life has value. Every day, every breath, every moment has value. There's nothing you've experienced that's valueless. There's nothing you're thinking, nothing you're feeling, nothing you're wondering about that's ever without value. It has immeasurable value. And Jesus gives us this value. The life you live now will continue in eternity. It's not that this life will end and then you get a new life that's unrecognizable to yourself. Your life. You are precious. Jesus wants to save you and take you into His eternal life. That probably means that there's going to have to be country music in heaven. Because those of us who are friends with Josh are going to still be friends with Josh in heaven. And God will, when He totally sanctifies Josh, there will probably still be a love for country music. I don't know what songs are going to be left, though, because we're not going to be singing about our ex-girlfriends and dead dogs. <laughs> so there's not going to be a long playlist of country music, but there'll be a song or two left. You, your life, this life, is what has value. But number three, the reality of eternal life gives everything you experience perspective. You don't have ultimate value or like, you know, in other words, it's starting to sound a little bit existential or nihilistic again. Like, hold on a, a second. Sounds like you, Mark, are putting me in the middle as well. My life is the most valuable thing in this world. Um, yeah, hold on. Let's put it into perspective. Life has ups and downs. And here's the point, is in life's best ups, we want to make the world of them, but they actually don't satisfy. You know, there's, uh, there's, we all had, you know, when, when you want to, it's your dream to get married, then you think, if I get married, I'll be happy. I remember thinking this, I was driving up uh, Brea Canyon, Cutoff Road, Steep Hill, and I remember I was engaged to NAS, and I had this thought, man, if we end up actually getting married, there'll, be, there'll never, ever be a bad day in my life again. I, I mean, I sincerely believe that. The problem was, Nas isn't God. I was putting on her an expectation she can never fulfill. It's unkind and unloving. How horrible. Can you imagine me going to her one day and saying, 
you're a real failure in my life. You're a real disappointment. You've allowed sadness into, you've allowed me to experience pain and suffering. What do you mean I've allowed you? Well, being married to you hasn't made my life perfect. Or what, you know, the job of your dreams. Or the pair of shoes that you've been uh, waiting for for years. They just won't satisfy. They just won't replace the need for God. So the goods are good, but they're not ultimate. And the lows are low, but they're not ultimate. Jesus promises that He will recover us from those lows. And we all face them. But your, the rejection you face from people who you need their approval, the friends that you need for life, they reject you. You feel, what, what life do I have left? Jesus says, that won't end you. Cling to me. The lows are low, but they're not ultimate. The highs are high, but they're not ultimate. Eternal life helps us to see them in perspective, and they come within, within a bandwidth that we can handle. This is good, but it's not ultimate. I'll enjoy it while I have it. This is bad, but it's not ultimate. I'm not going to let it crush me. In the end, Jesus is going to recover this. Right? So it gives us perspective, and fourthly, the reality of eternal life draws us to God. Um, once we've accepted that... Um, we're part of this world of brokenness. And that we eventually have to ask this question, how come an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-kind, all-loving, all-able God would allow this world to go on for so long? How could He allow us to rage against Him? To oppose Him? How could He allow some genius human in a wheelchair to deny Him? Why doesn't he just write them out of the story? Why doesn't he just write us out of the story? Why doesn't he just end this thing? He draws us to God. This is the reality. The reality isn't because of something we are or something we've done. The reality is the reason God doesn't do this is because God is good. Not because I'm good, not because you're good. Because God is good. It's that kid's story. If you know it, you can sing it with me. Steve, you can do the country version. God is so good. God is so good. I'm forgetting how it goes. God is so good. He's so good to me. That's why. Isn't it interesting that God's goodness to be patient with the world is one of the reasons the world gets confused about His existence? I don't know if I can believe in God. Look at all the pain in this world. Man, thank God that He's good because He sees it. It would be the easiest thing in the world to write it out. If I was God, I would have ended it decades ago, millennium ago. But He is so good. He hasn't run out of patience or kindness or love. He's still working His will. So eternity is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't win it. You can't steal it. You can't find it. Eternal life is a gift from a good and gracious and merciful and loving God. What do you do with a gift? You receive it. Those who think the Christian religion, Christianity is a religion of do-gooders, it, let me just say it's not, because eternal life is a gift. You can't earn it, buy it, win it, steal it. Are Christians better than anyone? No. They're better than no one. In fact, Christian, the only difference is Christians just know that they're no good. That's the difference. 
They've accepted that without God's love and mercy and grace, they've got no chance. That's the difference. Not praying enough to get saved, not going to church enough to get saved, coming to church this week or last week or next week won't get you any closer to eternal life. Singing the right songs, praying the right prayers, reading the Bible is not going to save anyone. Only God does that. And we receive this gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And we receive it like you do at Christmas. If you're given a gift, you receive it. So eternal life answers our problem of death. Eternal life helps us value every moment of this life. Eternal life helps us not overvalue anything in this life too much. And eternal life helps us see that God is very good. That's Jesus assumes there is an eternal life. So what does Jesus do about it? Jesus says before the eternal kingdom comes, before this new reality comes, before the heaven and earth will pass away, and that's, what, that, that's if you don't know where history is going, heaven and earth, this earth is going to pass away, it's going to be done, it's going to be over, and a new earth is going to begin, similar to this, same as this, but without the pain and the sorrow. Jesus says in verse 25, he says, Before all that happens, the Son of Man, or Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. This may be the greatest under-exaggeration in the history of the world. That the Son of Man, Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Here's why. Number one, bear this in mind. Jesus, the creator of the world. Baby Ruth. (laughs) Behave yourself back there. The creator of the world, enthroned in heavenly places, eternally existent, Worshipped by creatures and angels, sitting in, uh, in glory, enthroned in majesty, enters his creation within the limitations of humanity. He puts on human flesh, comes to us through the womb of a virgin. He's born in shame and misunderstanding in a stable of an animal. The king of glory, the king of kings, the creator of this world comes in human flesh, for human flesh. He comes as one of us because that's what he's going to save. He's going to save us, man. You can't over-exaggerate the things that he's going to suffer. Number two, Jesus grows up under the questions of his uh, of his family and community. The Bible tells us his own siblings misunderstood him growing up. Can you imagine growing up and your your siblings supposed to be the savior of the world? <laughs> That's in, yeah, I mean, but this is, you also see them like messing their food at the table and um, you're like, you're not the savior of the world. You can barely eat your food properly. His cousins don't get him. He's more interested about God things than winning card games. Haley Gray, just joking. <laughs> just teasing my competitive friend. He gets mocked. He gets misunderstood. He gets left out. He gets abused. By this, we're talking about his family, friends, and neighbors. Not his enemies yet. Can't exaggerate what Jesus goes through. Jesus then begins ministering, 
And this is what he does. He walks around declaring good news of the kingdom of God. He heals the sick. He gives blind their sight. He heals the oppressed. He restores the, uh, all those who've lost. He brings the poor in. He brings all the outcasts and makes them his in crowd. He uses disciples who are really incompetent. They've failed in the rabbi test, so that's why they're fishermen. He makes them his key um, kind of leaders of the group. He goes to the tax collectors who no one wants anything to do with, and he brings them in. All he does is good after good after good. And he, and he prophesies that the good news that he has is for all people, the whole world, not just the Jews, not just these people, not the ins, not the outs. It's for everyone. What do we do with him? What happened was he gets despised, hated, tested, mocked, arrested, tried, beaten, whipped, spat on, shamed, and crucified. And then in the darkest moments in his greatest need, he cries out to the Father in heaven. And the Father turns his eye off of him and turns his eye on us. He turns away from the Son to save us. And Jesus dies alone. You can't over-exaggerate the suffering that Jesus was talking about when he said, before I give you eternal life, I've got to suffer in your place. Why are, why are Australians so indifferent to Jesus? Why, why, do we, why do we in our culture not care that much about who He is? Why is He seen as merely a good person in religions? Even, the, even Muslims love Jesus. They just think He was a really great person. What's so dangerous about Him that atheists want to bury Him and hide Him and get rid of Him? What did he ever do? A man who did so much good, why, why do atheists want to bury him? Never caused a war, never hurt anyone, never caused any rebellions. His preaching created good citizenship. Christians were called uh, do good is not in the sense of moralists, but people who did good. In, in the kind of the, uh, it, Josephus talks about it, the Jewish historian of Jesus' day, or just after Jesus' day. The Christians had this reputation in Rome of walking around the streets, helping people everywhere. Why, why does a man who's done that and his influence is for people to love others, why do we want to bury him and hide him? Why is he dangerous to talk about? Why, if you join a sports club, will they tell you not to talk about politics and religion? Don't talk about Jesus in the sports club. Why? Why wouldn't we talk about the most loving person that's ever walked on the face of the earth, that only ever did good and has great news for you? Why? Why wouldn't we want to talk about the, per the person who said, I'm going to take all your suffering and turn it to joy? Whatever you've lost, I'm going to return it. Whatever sorrow you've had, I'm taking that away. Whatever forgiveness you need, I'm going to give it. Whatever rebellion you did, that's okay. Whatever you did against God, I will, I've worked against it. I forgive you. I'm going to, I'm going to um, reconcile you to God. What would you give your entire life for? Who would you be willing to die for? Not a, not a gentle death. Who would you be willing to spend the rest of your life being 
marginalized, mocked, physically beaten, spat on, emotionally abused, tried by the courts, found guilty for nothing, and crucified. Who would you be willing? Who in your life is, means so much to, me, to you that you would spend the rest of your life experiencing life in that way? Jesus' answer is very simple. You. He would do it for you. He'd do it for me. That's a love I don't even understand. That's a commitment I don't even know. That's a knowledge of eternal life that my small brain can't even comprehend. Have you ever been so loved by anyone? Have your own parents ever loved you so much? Has your spouse ever loved you so much? Have your children ever loved you so much? There's no one that's ever loved you so much. What does Jesus require? He says, whoever seeks to uh, preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. In verse 33. What does it mean to preserve life? I mean, nowadays, does that mean that Jesus is prophesying that whoever tries to cryogenically freeze their life is going to lose it? That's not really what Jesus is getting at. I don't think it matters whether you get frozen or buried. The word preserve here is a Greek word that speaks about earning something, to make it your own. In other words, whoever tries to make your own life, God's dead, God's aloof, he doesn't care. Make your own life. Get on with it. Extensionalism, nihilism. There is no God. Nothing is meaning. You better make your own life. You only get what you earn. You get what you deserve. Kind of more kind of the American, you know, you, tie, you pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Through your efforts, you get rewarded. Jesus says that won't ever lead to life. I mean, you may lead to a wage, you worked so hard, you studied so hard, you got a job, you got an income, you'll still end up ultimately losing life. It's a warning. And it's a warning because God does exist. Because your life has purpose and meaning. Because He knows why He made you. He knows where you're going. He knows what He wants for you. There is right and wrong. There is heaven and hell. These philosophies of our lives are wrong. God is in control. And God loves you. So what? Without Him, we lose life. Our self-centered independence ends in eternal death. The secular ideas of kind of our lives' mission end in failure. They're suicide missions. Existentialism leads to death. Nihilism leads to death. Living for myself leads to death. It's a, it's a suicide mission. Me being number one is not a good idea. It achieves the exact opposite uh, mission for which it was intended. Those of you who are older, the older you are, the more you know it's true. The younger you are, maybe you think, ah, oh, no, I, I don't think so. This guy's a little bit passionate. You know, I, I know my dream job's still going to satisfy me. And I know that having three and a half children uh, is still going to bring me, it's going to make me the best. And I know that a bank account will still give me security. And I know that, but the older you get, the more you know that all the things that you thought were going to give you meaning and give you purpose and give you security and give you pleasure, none of them ultimately did. Because only God can do that. So what is, what's Jesus' option? He says, lose your life. 
Don't, don't try and make it on your own. Give it up. Realize, like Mark, that you're incompetent to be your own God, to serve yourself, to lead yourself. Give your life up. Recognize you need help. Let yourself be loved. Don't believe God stands aloof. Don't believe God's not interested. Don't believe that there's no loving God who created you with purpose and meaning. Lose that life. Get rid of it. It's a risky thing to do in our culture. Jesus says what will happen is you will preserve or keep your life. And in the Bible, it's clear there's a, it's a different word here. In English translations, it's, it's often the same word, preserve, is used. But in the Greek, it's two different words. And the word there is actually the word that we might use for preserve. It talks like, like salt preserves food. It talks about actually making something last. Or there's another meaning for that word of being born into a new life. Being born anew. The king of baby is going to come into life. Right now the king of baby is alive. But there's going to be a new birth. A new experience for the king of baby. And, and that's what's talking about here. You have a life. Right now you have a life. But without God, you have a life poised still. Still waiting for its creator. Still, you, you still need to be found by Jesus. And through faith in Jesus, like being birthed into the new life that He has for us. And we finally come alive into who we are made to be in God. He makes our lives last. So He's basically saying, give this life up. It's not, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's going to end in death. And when you do that and you come to me through faith in Christ, you find eternal life, the life that preserves, the life that never ends, the new life you, that you're born into through faith in Jesus. What does Jesus require? He requires that we die to ourselves so that we can enter eternal life. Let me draw towards a close. How do we do this? The best known verse in the Bible tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, they won't lose their life, but they will have eternal life. Are you interested in eternal life? Are you interested in living? Are you interested in finding the purpose and the meaning of why you exist today, of why you were born? Now, those of you who have faith in Jesus already, you're like, yeah, I, I know where you're going with this, Mark. But there's some who don't have faith in Jesus. And the question remains, do you want to put that life to death, to put that life to death, to find the life that God has for you, to find what you were born for, to find that you are loved how do we do this? The simple way in Scripture is repent. And the word re repentance means that we change, we change our mind. It's, a, it's the change of the inner person. It's that, man, I used to believe in this. I used to believe there was, there was no God. And we just have to like, do whatever makes sense to us. Whatever feels good, just do it. That's all you can hope for. I'm leaving that. I, I don't believe in that. I don't want to live that way. I'm turning to my loving Creator God. I'm turning to Him. And I want to find out the life that He has for me. I don't believe God is aloof. I don't believe He just stands off, far off, and that life has no meaning and purpose, and we've got to make our own meaning and purpose. I don't believe it's all uh, that my truth is the greatest truth, and it's all relevant. I do believe. I want to turn from that. And I want to believe in the Creator. I want to believe in the God. I want to believe that what Jesus did for me was enough for me. 
We die to ourselves, and I've just shown you why, and we put our faith in Jesus. In other words, we just turn and say, Jesus, I can't do it alone. You have died to give me life so that I don't have to die. Help me into the life that you have for me. If Jesus is not your Lord and Savior today, then I urge you this morning that there is eternal life. And it's either going to be good or bad. Living for yourself is not going to get you where you want to go. It's going to lead to pain and suffering and death. The world is full of brokenness. It's full of destruction. Don't be a slave to yourself, to your will for pleasure or uh, comfort, contentment, satisfaction. Why? Because you're not going to find it through that means. It's not to say that life is miserable. It's just to say that whatever good you find is not going to satisfy. It's not going to be ultimate. Please don't say to Jesus in your heart, like we say in the shops, if we go and we're thinking about an item we want to buy, we might say, do you mind, do you mind holding that for a minute? Okay, I hear this message about Jesus. Okay, look, um, you mind holding it for a minute? I'm just going to see if there's another life that I can figure out. Are there a few other better options? Could you hold it for a minute? Or someone calls us and tries to sell us something. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of busy. I'm in a meeting. Could you call back next week? Jesus, I've got a life going on. Um, if it all falls apart, could you just call back then? And i listen to the Jesus option. Okay. Oh, I don't know. This is going to be a bit weird. I don't know a lot of Christians. What's going to happen to my life? I urge you to see the loving eyes of Jesus, hear His warm voice inviting you into the life that your heart desires, your heart is seeking for. Ask Him to bring you home. Ask Him to accept you as a son and daughter. Ask Him to give you faith. You don't have to be, get yourself even over that line. You don't have to turn yourself from here to there. You can turn to Him and say, like someone did in the Bible, I, I believe, I get it, I, I kind of get it, I think, but help my unbelief. Like a gentleman did at, on, at the Easter service. For God, I believe, I'm, I'm starting, you're starting to show me something. I believe, I want to leave this, uh, th- this um, false religion and I, I want you. And, and God helped him. Opened his eyes. Ask God to help you. My friend, I remember years ago, he sat on his bed and he said, Jesus, if you are real to me, then show yourself. He had gone to Vegas, met a girl in our church. He wanted to pursue her. She said, if you ever want to see me again, come to church on Sunday. He drove five hours out of Vegas to come to church on Sunday. And there he sat. He heard, the, he heard this message of Jesus. He didn't get to hang out with this girl ever again. Uh, although they became great friends in the church. Um, he married another girl. She married another guy. Uh, but that Sunday, he didn't go home with her phone number. That Sunday, he went home and he sat on his bed and he said, Jesus, if, if that message I've heard about you is true, please open up my eyes to believe. His life was instantly changed. Radically changed forever. What did he do? How many times did he pray? How much did he give? What did he, at the time, he was still a drug addicted, cussing. I, I won't tell you all of his sins. 
I'll just tell you, at the time he had done nothing except, Jesus, if this is real, open my eyes. He has instantly changed forever. If Jesus is, is your Lord and Savior, if you really believe in him, then hear the text that says, remember Noah, remember Lot's wife. Don't look back. Don't drift to trying to find your life in other things. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. In the ups, don't take your eyes off of Jesus. It's interesting that our, our best prayer, we pray the most, we pray the easiest when we're suffering. Then when we're going good, oh, life's okay, I've got this, right? It's, it's, life's not okay. Oh, no, uh, God, please, where are you? What's happening? Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. I urge you. Don't be like the generation of Noah. Don't be like Lot's wife who turned around to look back because that's where her treasure was. Just keep going forward. As life passes you by, maybe opportunities pass by, just keep, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep trusting Him. Don't overvalue your life. Don't undervalue your life. When good times come, don't put your hope in them. When suffering comes, don't be crushed by it. God is good. And His goodness is the only thing that will not end. For eternity, what's going to last is His goodness. Ask Him to help you see the new life that He has for you. Ask Him to help you uh, not be distracted, to have faith. And if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then ask Him this question. Jesus, how can I live for you today? How can I make you famous? How can I make you known? How can I show people that you, you love them? How can I bring your goodness through whatever you bring into my life, into this world?